Have you seen it? Have you seen the glory of the living God? Have you seen it in Jesus Christ our Lord? Because if you have seen the glory of the living God, you ought not to be sitting still. You ought not to be silent. You ought to be praising Him forever and ever as the King of kings and as the Lord of lords. And if you are not praising Him right now, you're going to be awfully bored in eternity. Because that is what we will be doing. And if we understood the depth of our sin, and if we knew the glory of God, this world would be turned upside down. It's what Jesus tells us beginning in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 16. He reminds us of our sin and of the glory of God. Look with me. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, we played the flute for you, you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Perhaps one of the greatest lies in our culture today is that a loving God would not punish good people. There's a couple of assumptions in that statement that are wrong. Number one, that a loving God cannot punish evil because ultimately if He is loving, He must punish that which is evil. 
If he is good, if he is just, he must punish that which is unjust, else he would not be good, else he would not be just. The second part of that statement is just as true, that there are no good people in this world. Scripture says there is none who does good. No, not one. How many funerals do you go to? She was a good person. He was a a good person. How many times do you talk about a person who seems to have morally upstanding character? They are good people. When the Scripture reminds us that all of our good, all of our righteousness, we are like filthy rags. And many of us are going to wake up on the day of judgment and we are going to find that there is going to be hell to pay. Because the Scripture talks about this day of the Lord. It indicates that it's coming. Listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 13, verse 10 of his book. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. We know that everything that is wrong with the world, God is going to make right. No good, no evil deed will go unpunished. He goes on to say in verse 13 of that chapter, Therefore I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of His fierce anger. Isaiah is going to talk about the future fall of Babylon. The people of that day, when they heard the prophets predicting that Babylon would fall, never would have seen that coming. Babylon was the great city with these huge walls and beautiful palaces and these hanging gardens that were one of the wonders of the world. It was the city of cities in the ancient world. And if you go to its location today, it is a pile of rubble in the middle of the hot desert. That's what's left. Do you know why? Because God kept his promise and he destroyed that city. Because they would not repent. And there's a whole list of cities that have done the exact same thing. This glory and this majesty of God who is righteous in His judgments. Listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 5. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp, tambourine and flute and wine at their feast, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of his hands. And if you want to know something that's true throughout the storyline of Scripture, it is that if you are proud today, God will one day humble you. And he will teach you exactly what it means to give him glory, because you will give him glory in one of two ways. You will give him glory by praising him, or you will give him glory at the justness of his anger on the day of the Lord. But rest assured, you will give him glory. And it's in this context that Jesus reminds us of this unrepentant generation. He's just comforted and gently rebuked John the Baptist. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And now he's speaking to those who have the message going through their eardrums, but they're not hearing. Woe to the unrepentant generation. And so he says, to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace calling to their playmates, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. 
The invitation is rejected by the discontented generation. Is there a generation that has existed in the history of the world that is not more discontented than this one? We want more. More money, more technology, more friends, more relationships, more freedom, more time. And we receive all that and we're still as discontent as we have ever been. They said, you know, if it was just a little bit easier to live, we would be content. If you're in this room, you are in the 1% of the world. I hope you understand. You can talk about the 1% on Wall Street, but if you live in the United States, even those below are at the poverty line, you're in the 1% compared to the rest of the world because half the world lives on less than $2 a day. They said, well, if we could just have a little bit more technology and everything will just be easier for us, we'll have more time to serve God. Our calendars are as full as ever they have been because we have substituted the things of God for the things of the world. Check your calendar, check your pocketbook. You'll know who you worship today. He tells us this unrepentant generation, they, they see the works of God. Jesus is right there in front of them. He's doing these miracles and they don't repent. They don't believe. And he contrasts this because he says earlier, come to me as a child. So he's not denigrating children here. He says, come with childlike faith. Unless you come to him in full dependence, you will not know him. But he contrasts childlike faith with childish actions. These people are petty. These people are selfish. They're more concerned with what they want than what God wants. They're so busy looking at the horizontal that they've forgotten all about the vertical. And Jesus says, woe to you when you forget the glory of God. And so they begin to make excuses. Look at verse 18. John, talking about John the Baptist, he came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. You can hear the message here. John doesn't know what he's talking about. He, he's probably just demon-possessed. They contrasted with the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus is questioned by the disciples of John why he did not fast. He tells them because the bridegroom is with you. And this hard-hearted generation attempts to justify their rejection of the message by accusing the messenger. So John has a demon and Jesus likes to party. They reject the message by accusing the messenger. Oh, you've never had that happen to you before. I don't follow God because of that church or because of that pastor or because of that member. You're still responsible for your walk with God regardless of who or what you think caused you to fall. When you put your eyes here and you don't put your eyes up there, you are asking to be disappointed. Rejecting the gospel by blaming the church. Now, given... <laughs> There are times when we certainly deserve much of the blame. We spend a lot of time talking about programs, talking about budgets, talking about things we want to do. 
We don't spend nearly enough time talking about sharing the gospel with other people so that they might know. And so Jesus says it'll be played out one day. He says in verse 19 that wisdom is justified by her deeds, that Jesus as the source of wisdom will be vindicated by his actions. And so he says, woe to this unrepentant generation. But then he goes on and he tells us there's a further woe taking place, this woe to these unrepentant cities. The very cities who saw the working of God are the ones who refused to repent. And so Jesus denounces them because they do not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, because if these things had happened to you in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. In Tyre and Sidon, they worship Baal. In Tyre and Sidon, they sacrifice their own children. In Tyre and Sidon, they are after idolatry. And the Bible says, through Jesus, that if they had seen what you had seen, They would have gotten on their knees a long time ago. You can feel the temperature just kind of rising in his sermon here. He tells them, I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon for the Baal worshipers than it will be for you. Korah's in Bethsaida. Do you know where they reside? In Israel and Palestine, do they not say, oh, we are the chosen people. Surely God would not do this to us. He would punish Tyre and Sidon before he ever punishes us. It'll be easier for Tyre and Sidon than it will be for the supposed people of God on the day of judgment. And then Jesus goes after the city from which his Galilean ministry was based, and he brings the heat. And he says, you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, because if these mighty works had been done and happened in Sodom, it would have been around until this day. You know what happened to Sodom. Got taken by fire from God. Destroyed the whole city. The term sodomy is not a popular term in the church of God. And yet Capernaum, the place where Jesus is based, it will be better for the city of Sodom, and Sodom still would have been around compared to Capernaum. Sodom would have repented if they had seen the same things. I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Sodom than for you. Can you imagine that statement? He could have just said, well, said Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that longed for the king and rejected the king who came. It will be more tolerable for those who didn't know about God than for those who did, he tells us. I think of the rich man and Lazarus. You remember the story? The rich man walks by Lazarus, the beggar, every single day. The rich man has plenty to eat, plenty to drink, plenty to live off of. Lazarus licks off the crumbs of his tables, eats like a dog. Lazarus dies, and the rich man dies. Lazarus goes to be with the Lord. The rich man ends up in hell. And the Bible gives us this picture of this gulf that is fixed between them where 
the rich man in hell lifts up his eyes and he sees Abraham in this great gulf that is fixed between them and he asks him just to send a drop of water so that his tongue would be cooled by the torment of the flames. A drop of water won't get you much, but in hell it is like an oasis in the midst of an unbearable desert. And Abraham reminds him that the gulf is there and he cannot come. So he says, please, Abraham, send someone to go to my brothers and my father's house and tell them. And Abraham says something that is very revealing to the culture nowadays. He says, if they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they hear someone else, even if they rise from the dead. So we could go out to the cemetery right now, command someone to come out of the grave in the name of Jesus, and there would still be people who would not repent because if they would not hear Moses and the prophets, if they would not see the works of the Lord, if they would not heed the word of God, neither will they repent, though Jesus himself is standing right in front of them at this moment. He says, if you don't believe in the judgment of God, you are going to be very surprised. Come judgment day. And the more that you know about Jesus without actually knowing Jesus, the more responsible you are for what you have seen and heard. I think on the day of judgment, it will be a lot more bearable for those who have not heard the gospel than for those who have heard the gospel and have rejected it. I think it will in some ways be more bearable for those who have heard the gospel and have followed Christ and have tried to live in the example, even if they've fallen away, than for those who proclaim the gospel, profess it, but do not live it out. The worst thing that can happen to you on the day of judgment is that you hear about Jesus, you profess Jesus, but you don't actually know Jesus. You're held more accountable than everybody else. And the church of God in the United States is going to one day wake up and see his judgment all around us if we're not seeing it right now. He tells us this judgment is for you. These three cities, perhaps with the exception of Jerusalem, are the three cities that's known as an evangelical triangle where Jesus did the vast majority of his works. And yet they don't believe. And here's the big contrast. The contrast is between those who think they don't need God and those who know they do. This is the way Jesus brings people into the kingdom. He brings them in through repentance and through humility. And if you will not swallow your pride and get on your knees and bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you will one day confess Him as Lord, even unwillingly so. See, the only people who are going to be in heaven one day, the only people who are going to be in heaven one day are those who know they don't deserve to be there. Those are the people who are there. Everybody that thinks they're getting in by someone or something else is not going. And God says, you need to examine yourself today. What you're living for worth dying for? 
Man, maybe you're doing all these family activities. Maybe you even contribute to the church in some type of meaningful way. But if your focus is on here rather than on there, God says judgment is coming. He gives the woe to this generation. He gives the the woe to these cities. And then I, I love how he turns this around because in the midst of all our guilt, in the midst of understanding that if God were to send me to hell, I know I deserve it. He would be just in doing so. In the midst of all that, this is what he says to all the people who he just condemned. Listen to these words. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't it interesting how the children often have more of an understanding of the kingdom of God than the adults do? Because Jesus says, unless you come as a child, you will not enter into the kingdom of God in childlike faith and in childlike trust here. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. And then he gives what has to be one of the greatest statements in all of the Bible. He says that if you will come to him in repentance and faith, he will give you rest. We have more products and more medicine today to help us sleep than ever before. Anybody seen the commercials for the sleep numbers? You you can actually set your mattress to counteract however your spouse likes their mattress. So if you like a a firm mattress, you can have that. If you like a soft mattress, you can have that. And you can just press a few buttons and it'll remember it and it'll conform to your body and all these things so you can sleep better. You can go to the store and get a number of sleeping pills that are supposed to help you sleep the night through and not let you get groggy the next day. Some of you take them every single day and you still claim they're not habit forming even though you take them every day. We have people going to the doctors, trying to get more sleep, In a world in which there is no rest, you can't find the sleep, you can't find the rest. And Jesus says, if you will come to me, you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest. And look at what he he doesn't say here. He doesn't say, get your life in line and you'll have it. Earn it. Get it together and you'll find it. He says, if you'll come to me, I will give you rest. It is yours for the taking if you will come. Believer, are you weary today? Do the cares of this world have you down? Is there a relationship or a marriage that you thought was supposed to work out that didn't work out? Are you toiling at the end of the day and you still find that you have nothing in the tank? You have little in your bank account? Are you looking around and seeing what the world is coming to and you're wondering how on earth you can go on? He says, come to me and I will give you rest. And some of you today who are weary and who are heavy laden, 
and you're looking for rest, stop trying to find it in the things of the world and find it in Christ. Because it is the only place where it exists. He gives us this hope. We see people responding in anger and frustration here in the United States and in Britain and in Europe and all around the world because they don't feel like they have hope. They don't feel like they're getting their fair share in life. And so they put their hope in politics or they they put their hope in getting a good job or they, they put their hope in people hoping that that will all work out. And the Bible says we have a greater hope than all of this. And that hope is found in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's a world out there that is starving for food and they're thirsty for drink. And the only way that they will find it is if we share it. If we give. And so he says, if you're outside of the will of God, if you don't know Him, there is a judgment coming. There is hell to pay. But if you come to Him, there is a heaven to gain. There is a life worth living. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.